Today, my color rush uniform for the day, and uh, just wanted to acknowledge that. Uh, How Stuff Works, as, as I have said before, is a website that will explain how almost anything works. It's a fascinating little website if you've ever been there. Topics range from science to toys to conspiracy theories. How Stuff Works has also been our fall sermon series. We've looked at how redemption works. That was week one. We looked at how church works. We looked at how love works, how baptism works. Last week, as Matt mentioned, we looked at how peace works. And these are not topics that were chosen randomly. They come right out of the book of Colossians. And I've attempted to break down each subject in such a way that it makes it attainable to us. Hopefully the series has helped us see these very tangible topics in a way that will help us to fulfill our part in the equation so that when God does His part, we will experience the best that He has for us. Christianity, after all, is this wonderful cooperative effort between us and God. There's a part we must do that He won't do, and there's a part that only He can do that we can't do. We'll discover that to be true again today as we follow this trail through Colossians and we find ourselves dealing with how marriage works. But first, let's find out how something else works. This time it's how missions works, and it's presented by our own Sean Sislo. Let's go to the videotape. My name is Sean Sislo, and I'm an Assemblies of God missionary to Mexico. Here's how becoming an appointed missionary with the Assemblies of God works. One's missionary journey begins with a call to serve cross-culturally. They then must be an ordained minister and complete an application with Assemblies of God World Missions. After a 50-page application, 30 personal references, psychological testing, a week of orientation in Springfield, Missouri, including an interview with the Assemblies of God World Missions Board, they are either approved or disapproved for missionary service. Once the missionary receives approval from the World Missions Board, they're required to attend missionary training, complete online classes for further study, and raise monthly support that includes both the missionary's personal budget and work budget. When the missionary has received medical clearance, financial clearance after being 100% funded, and visa clearance to enter and live in the country of service, the Assemblies of God World Missions Mobilization Office will then give the missionary final clearance to depart for the field. And that's how becoming an appointed missionary with the Assemblies of God works. So you want to be a missionary? Uh, I want to welcome our live stream audience that uh, is watching today. Uh, Maybe you couldn't be in church today for whatever reason, or maybe uh, you don't attend church and the live stream becomes uh, a window into Central Assembly and uh, what happens in here, what it looks like in here. Uh, We're really glad that you're here. And and our hope and our prayer is that uh, one day soon you you find your way uh, into Central Assembly for a service to experience all that happens here beyond the sermon. The sermon's just one 
aspect of what we do. There's prayer, worship, and uh, the fellowship and the community that, that we believe is all part of the healthy Christian experience. So we welcome our live stream audience. Today, how marriage works is our topic. And this is what Colossians 3, 18 and 19, which is where we're camping today, this is what, what it has to say about the subject. Very simply, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Now I know in the current environment of political correctness, we do not like to talk in terms of submitting or submission. Those terms have been misrepresented on some fronts and abused on other fronts. But no matter how we mess it up, no matter how we misinterpret it, the Word of God is still exactly that. The Word of God. It is God-breathed. It's Holy Ghost-inspired. It is the authoritative and empowered Word of God. We cannot uh, avoid it. We cannot reinvent it because of an environment of political correctness or because some have twisted it for their own gain. But we had better get it right. We can't look at these verses and see the way we want it to be. We must see it as it is. The question is not what it means to you. The question is, what does it mean? This point is reinforced by the fact that these verses are reiterated almost verbatim in Ephesians chapter 5. In fact, if I would not have identified the reading as from Colossians, most of us would have assumed, I think, it was from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, says it like this, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. How does marriage work? That's a a broad topic, certainly more involved than the scope of one sermon. But hey, let's take a run at it. I'll cover lots of ground here. Uh, I really recommend the notes. Matt mentioned the program that you received as you came in. There's a handout in there, an insert uh, that is, contains space for notes, some blanks to fill in, that type of thing. You might need to write down some extra things. You'll never remember Everything that I say, I promise you that. It's going to be like drinking out of a fire hydrant. So hold on tight. Here we go. How marriage works. First, let's think in terms of your ecosystem. I've told you before about my pre-marriage counseling strategy, pre-marriage. Uh, we do six 90-minute sessions. Just finished this with Samuel and Amanda. Uh, six 90-minute sessions. And I try to... I spend the first session, the first 90-minute session, 
I, sent, I spend trying to talk them out of getting married. <laughs> One of the things we talk about is the inverted bell curve. A bell curve graphs the approval rating of the relationship. If you're getting married, uh, you're most likely in the throes of some level of infatuation. The approval, the approval rating, my guess, would be very high. And, and that's great. Infatuation enables you to overcome lots of problems. Uh, unfortunately, it can also help you to overlook problems. Um, so so we, we head into marriage knowing it's great now and assuming that it's only going to get better from, from here on out. We live happily ever after. That's, that's what the movies depict. It's what all the storybooks said. But somewhere in there, life happens. It's my job, the pre-marriage voice of reason... I kind of like that title. <laughs> to point out the inverted bell curve. It's my job to warn them of the inevitable reality that the approval rating will not go up. It will go down. And that's normal. If we understand that life's struggles will impact our marriage, perhaps we will gird ourselves up for the fight Instead of going in assuming the best, only to get blindsided by life's trials and tribulations. Uh, I love the fact, by the way, that we have uh, a group of young people here in the front. I love the fact that they sit in front. And, and most of you guys aren't, aren't married, but your day is coming. And maybe this will help you look at it right from the get-go. And uh, so hopefully this is beneficial to you. Um, there typically is a big gap between expectation and reality. And, and I see my job in that first session to narrow that gap by lowering the expectations. Many times, the people who come to me for marriage counseling, not pre-marriage now, many times the people that come to me for marriage counseling are experiencing just that. They're some years in, and their approval rating didn't go up like they thought it would. The infatuation is gone, and now they're trying to figure out if what they're feeling, what they're experiencing is normal. In the meantime, the problems of life are taking their toll. What can you do uh, if that's you? Well, I would say, let's take a look at the ecosystem of your marriage. The ecosystem is the interacting of the organisms within a community of some sort. In this case, your marriage. It's the physical and emotional environment you and your spouse dwell in. It's the physical and emotional environment that you and your spouse dwell in. It's your, it's your ecosystem. And while we all have problems, all of us, the ecosystem of your marriage determines how you deal with them. Career challenges, financial problems, health problems, the childbearing years, aging parents, there are all kinds of problems and issues 
that come with growing into adulthood. That's common to all of us. What sets the successful marriages apart from the unsuccessful marriages is how they deal with the realities of life. Allow me to share a couple of tips to improve your ecosystem that will impact how you navigate the problems of life. So we're trying to improve your ecosystem because that's going to help you navigate the problems of life well. So first, make sure your love tanks are full. Your love tank is where you store your reserve marriage strength. Let's look at it that way. It's your stored assets marriage-wise. You can think of it like a, a fuel tank in your car or your bank account where you make deposits and withdrawals. So every married couple ought to be asking each other on a regular basis, what's your love tank on? Then the other answers, based on a 1 to 10 scale, 1 is empty, 10 is plump full. If one spouse says, what's your love tank on? And the other one says, 6. Then you can say, what can I do to get you to a 7? It opens up good conversation. It's a good way to bring to the surface things that need to be talked about. It gives you an opportunity to share the frustrations, the the hurts, and the things that are otherwise left undealt with that, that would become festering wounds and eventually lead to a wall of resentment being built. Now here's why that's important. Remember all the problems that come with life, the the financial issues, the aging parents, problems with the kids. All of that is magnified. All of that is magnified if your love tank is running low. Every problem seems worse when you have to face it alone. But if your love tank is full, you can take on the world. Truth be told, It usually doesn't take much. It's really about attentiveness and consideration. On the other hand, neglect and inattentiveness over time are marriage killers. They are gigantic withdrawals from the love tank. As the love tank plummets toward empty, all of life's problems take on more weight than ever. They can feel insurmountable. Over time, we begin to feel alone, and the marriage suffers. So find something you do routinely as a couple, like date night or breakfast on Saturday morning, whatever it is, and get in the habit of asking each other what your love tank is on, and then ask what you can do to move it to the next level. It's a good step in improving the ecosystem of your marriage. Another thought on your ecosystem is to make make sure home is a safe place. I'm a big believer that, that home should be a place that you look forward to. There are some who have a nice house, but it's not a place of refuge. That has to do with the ecosystem of your marriage. So let's think about how to improve that. How can we make 
home a place of, of refuge? Three quick thoughts, Alex. We need to be conscious of, number one, your initial interaction. If the dog is more excited to see us than our spouse, <laughs> there may be a problem. Seeing each other for the first time in a period of hours should elicit a response. When I walk in the door, I'll tell you this, church, when I walk in the door, Rhonda is there to greet me with a kiss, and I get to hold her for a minute or two. I got to tell you, I look forward to that. There are 7.5 billion people in the world. I chose Rhonda. I can't wait to get home to her. She's my girl. So make sure your initial interaction is special and meaningful. Number two, we also need to put boundaries around what we talk about and when we talk about it. Now, you have to hear me closely on this. We're talking about making home a safe place. We're talking about making your home a place of, of refuge. So here's what I mean by the boundaries around what we talk about and when we talk about it. We can't talk about the problems all the time. Now, we do need to talk about the issues of life. We need to deal with the kids, and we need to deal with the roof, and we need to deal with the bills. But we shouldn't have to deal with it from the time we walk in the door until we go to bed at night. This isn't healthy for anyone. We need to have times to talk about it and times to formulate an attack and plan our strategy for dealing with said problems. But to never have a break from the problems makes home an undesirable place. We have negatively impacted the ecosystem of our marriage. Now, now let me reiterate, I'm not saying, or, or let me say it this way, what I'm saying only works if there are designated times to really sit down and talk about the problems. I am in no way advocating for burying your head in the sand and hoping all of life's problems go away. I'm saying you can't talk about them constantly and still have home be considered a place of refuge. Does that make sense? Okay, number three. Another aspect to our marital ecosystem is the eggshell syndrome. This is where one person has to walk on eggshells around the other. It's hard to see home as a place of refuge if that's the case. If someone is so volatile that they regularly blow up if someone says the wrong thing or the kids make too much noise, there's an issue that needs to be dealt with there. It's not healthy. It's not a healthy, safe environment for a couple to coexist in. It's actually an environment that would be filled with fear and frustration. If home is an undesirable place, we'll start to find ways and reasons to avoid it. We all come out ahead if home is a safe place. We look forward to the end of the day if home is a place of refuge. Now, just to recap that little section, here's how we get there. Remember, 
the first interaction, the initial interaction between you and your spouse. It's an important tone setter. Remember that the relationship has to breathe. You cannot talk about the problems all the time without negatively impacting the ecosystem of our marriage. And remember the eggshell syndrome. Be patient with one another. Apologize when you fall short. Listen, a fear-based marriage cannot thrive. Tend to the ecosystem of your marriage. We're looking at how marriage works. Let's talk about divorce-proofing your marriage. How do you do that? Well, one way is to avoid temptation. A while back in the news, Mike Pence said that he never dines with another female alone. That's not his wife. And the media ridiculed him. The media made fun of Mike Pence. Within days of that, uh, oddly enough, the Me Too movement sprang to life. And suddenly, Mike Pence looked pretty smart. We're wise to keep ourselves from situations where emotional connections can form. Affairs, you see, don't start in the physical realm. They start with an emotional connection. It, I, won't, I won't ride alone in a car with a woman that I'm not related to. You can scoff at that. You can shake your head and you can think I'm over the top. But an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Listen, once that emotional connection forms on one end, it suffers on the other end. You are now on a slippery slope that seldom reverses directions. Avoid temptation. How do you divorce-proof your marriage? The second uh, letter B here is, is avoid the D word. There, there really is truth to the idea that the more you talk about something, the more you consider something, the closer it comes to reality. Make divorce talk off limits. It's simply not an option. Third, letter C, be honest, even when it hurts. Again, we're talking about uh, divorce-proofing your marriage. Be honest, even when it hurts. What is uncomfortable now is a disaster later. You can tell your little lie, and it may save you some grief in the moment, but it will take two lies to cover up the one and four to cover up the two, and soon you'll find yourself somewhere you never intended to go. If I ask you if you're honest, and you say most of the time, it doesn't do much for me. It's a problem. If I don't know when you're telling the truth, it breeds a lack of trust. So, so be honest, even when it hurts. The fourth one, if you want to divorce-proof your marriage, letter D, play together and pray together. These two activities will produce an intimacy that can be cultivated no other way. Make sure, church, Make sure your marriage is fun. Run together. Travel together. Hike together. Help together. Dance together. Make beautiful music together. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Find a place to play. 
and then storm the throne room of God together. Pray together. Hold hands and intercede for the hurting together. Pray for your children together. Pray for your pastor together. Pray for your city together. Pray for the lost together. Pray for wisdom together. Pray for each other together. You just cannot be at odds with someone you are kneeling next to before the throne of God. Praying together and playing together are great ways to divorce-proof your marriage. The other ways are to avoid temptation, avoid the D word, and be honest, even when it hurts. Now let me finish with this. Be careful how you fight. Fighting is okay. How you fight matters. Conflict is normal and expected. In fact, I'm more concerned about the couples who say, we never fight. It, it tells me that they're either avoidant or, or they're, they're married singles. They're, they lead separate lives, and they worry me. They're, they're heading for trouble, I believe. But fighting is okay when we learn to first think in terms of conflict resolution as opposed to winning and losing. And I know that's common sense. I know you hear that a lot. But I think instinctively we think in terms of winning and losing. If I'm out to win and I'm successful, the problem with that is my spouse loses and in the long run, that's not really a win for me either. We need to find a way to get on the same side of the problem and push in the same direction. It helps to sit down and clearly establish what each other's opinions and perspectives are. Listen, you do not have a right to shut down your spouse's opinion. Think in terms of resolution and not winning and losing. How you fight matters. Second, you do not have a right to be abusive. You do not have a right to be abusive physically, emotionally, or verbally. Just because, now hear me, church. Just because you're bigger, stronger, louder, a better arguer, or even smarter does not make you right. You have a responsibility to listen. Not just hear, but to listen. You have a responsibility to listen beyond the words with a head-heart connection. We need to listen not just for our spouse's position on an issue, but for their fears and their insecurities and their past experiences that so often fuel our opinions and drive our thinking. This isn't an issue. It's a person. And it's not just a person. It's your spouse. And your spouse deserves the ultimate respect from you whether you feel like it in the moment or not. 
We all get an opinion. And you would be wise to know exactly why your spouse holds the opinion that they hold. Finally today, letter C, be careful how you end fights. Now, let me, let me give you a wise word here. How you end fights means everything. If you're fighting and, and someone makes an attempt, now, now you have to put yourself back in this situation. I'm thankful you're not in the middle of a fight right now. But you've been in one. And, and when you're in the middle of a fight, and a lot of times it happens, some, you get to the point where I, I'm done fighting. I'm just, I'm just done fighting. And so one of the two uh, members of the marriage begin to feel that way. And one of them makes an attempt to end the fight. In, in the counseling world, we, we, we refer to those as repair mechanisms. Be careful what you do with that. If someone reaches out with a peacemaking gesture of some kind, you are at a crossroad. It might be an attempt at humor. It might be a touch. It may be an apology. But if your spouse offers an olive branch and you step on it, or you brush it off, or, or worse yet, you see it as a sign of weakness and an opportunity to come in for the kill, you will have sent a powerful message that they will never forget. When you make yourself vulnerable, when you bear your heart and someone wounds it, you learn very quickly not to do that anymore. And a result is the repair mechanisms become ineffective. If the repair mechanisms are ineffective, it becomes difficult to end a fight and they can drag on. Or worse yet, they don't really end at all. They just sort of fade away without resolution only to resurface again and again in different ways. Remember, Winning is not the goal. An apology is not blood in the water that stirs aggression in us. It ought to be an opportunity for reconciliation and hope for the future. Be careful how you end a fight. It can leave scars, and if the same person loses all the time, hear me now, if the same person loses all the time, you can rest assured they're in the process of building a wall of resentment. Be careful how your fight ends. So let me wrap this up. Our verse in Colossians, our two verses said, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. The greater burden in this passage, falls to the husband. Men, if we love our wives, if we create a loving environment where our wives feel protected and cared for and nurtured and provided for, 
Submitting will be the natural response. I've said many times that if a man is quoting that verse to his wife, the submission verse, if a man is quoting that verse to his wife, he already has a problem. Submitting is not an order we give. It's an environment we create. That's how marriage works. And finally this. If you're struggling, get help. If the car breaks down, we bring it to the mechanic. If the pipes are bad, we call in the plumber. But, but somehow if our marriage is struggling, we, we figure we got to tough it out on our own. Get help. Your marriage is worth fighting for. It's interesting that at the end of the Ephesians passage, verse 31 of Ephesians 5, it says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. That's a fascinating verse. There's a similarity in the relationship between a husband and his wife and Christ and the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself for it. And so we submit to him. We submit knowingly, willingly, readily, completely, knowing the depth of the love that Jesus has for us. That should describe the ecosystem of your marriage. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not proud. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave unseemly. Love does not seek its own. Love is not easily provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity or keep a record of wrongs. Love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That's how marriage works. Maybe you're, you're here this morning. And back to Christ and the church part of that equation. You need to know that there's somebody that loves you so much that if you understood how much he loves you, you would willingly submit to him. You would entrust him with everything you are, everything you will ever be. That's how much Jesus loves you. He didn't just say it. He lived it. God the Father sent his only begotten Son who gave his life for you. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. He paid our penalty on the cross. You can surrender to him without reservation, willingly, readily, knowing that what he has for you is best. He will take care of you. 
His plan is for you. It's a plan for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. You can can trust him. And that's what the faith journey is all about. Trusting Jesus. And so I'd like to invite you this morning to give yourself to Jesus. The one who loves you more than you can imagine. You surrender your life to him. You give yourself to him. That's what it means to be a Christian. You begin to live for him. So that whole submission thing that we get so hung up on is there to teach us what it means to submit to Jesus. I speak concerning Christ and the church. He loves you with a perfect love. It's not a selfish love. It's an unending love, an unfailing love. He will never hurt you. You can trust him. That doesn't mean everything will be pleasant. Life, life, life. But Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Lord, I pray for the one that's here today that just can't bring himself, can't bring herself to trust you like that. Maybe they've been in a relationship where the person they trusted wasn't trustworthy. Maybe they grew up in a home where the people they trusted to care for them didn't care for them. But Lord, you're not like that. You're the perfect father. You're the perfect husband. You're the perfect savior. So, Lord, this morning we take the step of faith to trust you with all that we are and all that we ever will be. Lord, thank you for the salvation that we have in you. Lord, we we thank you for marriages. Uh, Facebook says it well. It's complicated. There are a lot of moving parts to a marriage. Lord, we trust you. On our ecosystem, the ecosystem of our marriage to be healthy so that we can deal with the problems life throws at us in a way that will bring glory and honor to you. Lord, we, we value the institution of marriage. We know it's under attack even in society. Lord, we stand for the institution of marriage. And then, Lord, for individual marriages, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be healthy, to love our spouse, to be other-minded to put them first to take care of ourselves that we might be equipped and ready to love as you've called us to love we give you thanks for all of that this morning in the name of Jesus